gives you $1,000. There might be a link for that. You never know. Uh, or they might call somebody and say, hey, you know what, mom and dad, I'm not sure what to do with this situation. The boss didn't give me any, uh, any kind of directions. He didn't give me any kind of plans. He just said, invest this money. And so what do you think I ought to do with this? Or some people might say, you know what, I know exactly what to do with this. My boss gave me this money. I know exactly what to spend it on. Everybody you think is probably going to do something. I don't think there's going to be an employee who takes this note, throws it away, takes the check, and sticks it in a drawer and says, well, I don't really like my boss. I don't really like my job. I'm going to do nothing with it. Right? You don't think anybody is going to do that. Now, everybody might take this money and do something different with it. Some people might know how to invest it into the stock market. And they say, I know this, the trend of these stocks. I'm going to stick this money there, and it's going to increase. And my boss is going to come back. He's going to be very happy. Some people say, you know what? I know what we need to make this company run a little smoother. I'm going to go buy this computer, or I'm going to buy the software to, to help train the employees under me. But I'm going to do what I think is best. Uh, and that's exactly what the... The, the boss is expecting this person to do is to do what you think is best to improve his company. But the idea is that there are any number of things that people can do and people are going to do something. They're not going to just ignore this money. They're going to try their best to invest it. It's not all going to come with the same dividends. It's not going to equal the same amount. They're not all going to stand there and say, okay, here, you gave me $1,000. We all have $5,000 to give back. Somebody might have $10,000 to give back. Someone might have $2,000 to give back. Someone might have $1,010 to give back. But they're all going to have something to give. The idea is to invest while the, the, the boss is gone. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, to be investing while the master is gone. Now, he's not giving us each a lump sum of money saying, here, go increase this money because I need more, because he owns the cattle on a 1,000 hills. What does money mean to God? Absolutely nothing. Uh, he, he, no one gives him anything that he could possibly use. So we're not talking about money. We're talking about investing with the gospel. Now, in order to teach this lesson, Jesus is using a parable. Uh, the reason I picked the book of Luke is because it has lots of parables. It has stories that are told to teach a lesson. And the reason Jesus is telling this parable, we look off uh, right off in Luke chapter 19, verse 11. We find the purpose of the parable. While they were listening to this, he wanted to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Now, if you remember last week, uh, you had Jesus was in Jericho. He's talking to this little short guy. His name is Zacchaeus who climbed up into a tree and he's waiting to look to just see Jesus, to get a glimpse of him, to hear something that Jesus is teaching him. And Jesus has this conversation with him and says, Zacchaeus, I need to go to your house today. He makes this connection with him. He shares the message of salvation with him, and Zacchaeus gets saved. And we will come back to that in a slight way in a little bit later because uh, I have an experience this week that I'd like to tell you about that, that kind of ties in with that. Um, but you have Jesus, all these people thinking Jesus is going to Jerusalem. When he gets there, he's going to be, set himself up as king. He's going to overthrow the Roman government. And the Jewish nation is going to be back up on top, which is something that we're going to look at next week. You know, Palm Sunday, we usually think of is like, give me like two, and, two or three months away. Actually, is what's coming next week is Palm Sunday, where Jesus is entering Jerusalem. And all these people think Jesus is going to be the king, so they're willing to take off their cloaks and say, Jesus, 
You and this colt walk across these things because you're that worthy. You walk across these palm branches. People shouting Hosanna. People are excited. There's large crowds of people walking with Jesus because they think when he gets there, all of a sudden things are going to change. The kingdom of God is going to appear at once or Jesus is going to start overthrowing the government. There's going to be this huge army that's going to help overtake the Roman government. And so all these people think that is what's coming. And Jesus says, you know what? That is not what's going to take place. Here's a parable to help you understand what is going to take place. And here's what you need to do while you're waiting for the kingdom of God to, take, to, to show up. And we're going to see that the thing that they need to do is the same thing we need to do. What is that? Invest with the gospel. We're not there yet. We're going to get to there. Okay, so as parables goes, this one is a little bit different uh, because this is something that has kind of recently taken place in the, the history of the Jewish nation. Let me le read uh, verse uh, 12 to 14, and then I'll show you where the history fits in. And then we're going to come back to this idea of investing with the gospel. Verse 12, he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed as king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas, put this money to work, and he said, Until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. Uh, I think you guys will all recognize the name King Herod. He was this kind of king. He was the kind of king who went to go and talk to the Romans to have himself appointed with that title because the Roman government, they, didn't, they were very careful not to use the word king for the rulers. They'd use the term Caesar, but they didn't use the word king, but they would allow some other person who was ruling over uh, the Jewish people to claim that title as king. They just had to go through the proper steps in order to do that. Well, when King Herod died, the King Herod who tried to kill Jesus when he died, uh, he divided up his kingdom amongst his sons. And one son got half of the kingdom. His name was Ar Archelaus. But the thing about this guy was that the land could be divided up and it could be passed down from generation to generation so that the son could rule the same area that the king did, but that title of king could not be passed down. So Archelaus had to go to Rome, talk to the Caesar, and see if he would please give him that title as king. Kind of see this parallel, this similarity between this guy. He says, I'm going to go and appoint myself king. Well, this is exactly what Archelaus just recently did. So when the people hear this, they're saying, okay, we are understanding how this really works. Well, when Archelaus got to go talk to the Caesar, uh, he, it didn't work out real well for him. When he got there, he had family in Rome who said, we don't want this guy. This guy should not be king. He is not deserving of this title. Uh, there was a delegation of 50 Jews and Gentiles who, who worked together to go to Rome to say, we don't want this guy to be king. Now, if you remember about Jews and Gentiles, they always butted heads. They didn't like each other. They always had problems, but they said, this is worth coming together for so we could keep this guy from being our king. They, they finally agreed on something. We don't want this guy to be our king. It gets worse than that. 8,000 uh, expatriate, 8,000 8, Jews who were living in Rome heard about this, and they went to the, to the meeting and said, we, this is not a good idea. This guy should not be king. This guy is he's going to ruin the, 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 the system there. He's, he's, he's gonna, it's going to all turn out bad because this guy is uh, ruling, and he shouldn't be doing that. So you have uh, numerous people that are going and saying, we do not want this guy to be king. Well, as it turns out, he didn't get the title as king. 
He got the title as uh, ethnarch, which is a political leader, such as a governor of a district. But, it, but the, uh, Caesar told him, if you can earn this title as king, I will let you have it. But this guy never earned it because he was a bad person. He was a bad ruler, so he never got that title. When, uh, when you look at this parable, you say it's not exactly the same, but these people could understand from a real-life situation, I'm trying to teach you something. Well, in this case, the, the guy who went to go have himself appointed as king, he came back, and he was able to rule. But while he was gone, he took his servants, and he says, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of money to all ten of them. And he says, I want you to go out and to invest this while I'm gone. And he gave them each a mina. Anybody know what a mina is worth? Anybody want to take a stab in the dark? I can't give you a mina if you can guess it. Anybody want to take a guess? Okay, nobody wants to. That's okay. Uh, what? Ten dollars. Nice. That's at least a guess. Okay, if I had candy, I'd throw it to you. Uh, it's about... Three months' wages, okay? So this, this, this guy, when he left to go appoint himself as king, he gave ten of his servants three months' wages. And that's a lot of money. You think about what you make in three months. Uh, that's going to be obviously different for each of us. But just think you have that much to work with, and you need to go and invest that. Uh, and we find out that not everybody did the same thing. You know, if, if you took ten of us and gave, if I gave uh, ten of you $1,000 and said go and invest it, you would do it a different way, I bet you. And everybody would come out, hopefully, with more than $1,000 when you came back that you'd say, yes, I was willing to put this into practice. But the idea is that you do the best that you can with what you have, with whatever abilities you have, and that everybody started out with the same amount, that the three months' wages. Now, when this guy comes back, obviously, he's going to want an account of what did you do with the money that I gave you. Verse 15. When he, he, made, he was made king, however, and he returned home, and then he sent for the servants to whom he had, been, who he had given the money to in order to find out what they had gained with it. Obviously, that's going to make sense. And that they're going to be rewarded based off of their effort. Makes, makes sense, right? If, if a boss gives an employee a job to do, they will be compensated or rewarded or spoken highly of based off the effort that they were given, and that's exactly what's happening here. So let's see how this turns out. Uh, number one servant, verse 16, says, The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has gained ten more. Well done, my good and faithful servant, his master replied. That's incredible. That's, that's a thousand percent, right? I, he gave him a thousand dollars. He gave him three months wages. He gets an increase by a thousand percent. The boss says, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, and I think that's probably all he's expecting to hear. He's a servant. He's doing exactly what he's, hurt, what he's supposed to do. He's getting the attaboy. He's getting the kudo from his boss that he wants. And so he's like, okay, good. I, I did a good job. My boss is happy. And that's probably all he's expecting to get. But that's not all he ends up with. Verse 17, it says, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. You've been trustworthy with three months' wages. All of a sudden, uh, you get in charge of 10 cities. Does that even make sense? Right? Three months wages, uh, $6,000, and that's, that's a good chunk of change, or, or $9,000. But how does that compare to a city? Right? This guy went from something small to something that doesn't even, they'd have nothing to do with each other, but this guy was faithful with something small. He was blessed with responsibility beyond his imagination. Now, you, you take trying to run one city, okay? That would be pretty tough for us to do. 
But if you're in charge of 10 cities and you got to go look at 10 different cities or 10 different companies, you can't be in 10 places at one time. So I imagine this guy went from being a servant to all of a sudden having servants underneath him. Because he, he's, he's proved himself that much, and the master says, you've been faithful at this little piddly amount. Now I know I can trust you with something so much greater. The second servant, let's see how he did. Uh, verse 18, the second one came and said, sir, your mind has gained five more. Impressive, right? 500%. It doesn't compare with 1,000%, but five cities is what he gets if you continue reading. The master says, take charge of five cities. Pretty impressive, right? I mean, if the, the, the best I've ever gotten has been a, a, a kudo, right, or a, a Christmas bonus. It has never got translated to something that drastic, right? You didn't say, okay, you're faithful with this little money here. Take charge of five churches, right, or ten churches. It's, it, it just has nothing to do with each other. But you look at these guys, and you, you find something uh, that's probably pretty obvious is that their reward was based off of their effort. One guy was faithful with one mina, gained 10 more. He got 10 cities to be in charge of. One guy was faithful with five, one mina, got five more. He is now in charge of five cities. So it was based off of their effort, what they were able to accomplish. But they had to get out there, and they had to try to invest it. Great that these two guys did this. But now you come to this third servant, and it goes downhill in a hurry. 10 to 5 to, to nothing. Verses 20 to 27. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I kept it, and I laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You know, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you just put the money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. So they replied, he already has ten. But he replied, I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But to, as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But the, those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay, so obviously this third servant made a very bad choice. Very bad choice. And he has no one to blame but himself. And his excuse was that uh, you're a hard man. You, you, you work where you reap what you didn't sow, and you're not very fair, and you're not very just. And so I did nothing. Now, what do you, what do you think about that? You know, if you put the pieces together, you find out, first of all, that this, this guy was able to reward his servants astronomically. It doesn't even make sense that you would get, uh, you would uh, be in charge of a, a, a mina and you would get 10 cities to be in charge of because you were faithful. That doesn't even make sense, but he's proving I am a just master. I am a fair guy. I mean, if, if anybody's getting gypped, it's the master uh, because it, it doesn't even make sense. And then you find out that he says, you know what, if, if, if you are so afraid of me, you know what you should have done? You should have at least stuck that money in the bank. Now, that's not a lot of interest, but it's a little bit. He says, I would at least gain a little bit more, and I guarantee you this guy would have got rewarded for that tiny little bit of effort if he would have tried to invest it. But he says, you know what? I don't, I, I don't care, or I'm too afraid, or all he could offer were excuses. And I think because he was, a la he was lazy, 
he was afraid to try. So he said, I did nothing. I just absolutely did nothing with this. So that's an interesting story. That's an interesting lesson that, would, that if we were to take money, and if our boss was to give us money, we could say, okay, I'm supposed to take this, and I'm supposed to go do my best to invest money. Now, has that ever happened to anybody? Has your boss ever given you money saying, go and invest this? It has never happened to me, and I doubt it will ever happen to you. Okay, it might. If it does, I'd like to hear about it just because of curiosity's sake. Um, but I, I, I'm kind of curious, what would you do to that servant if you were the boss? If you gave your employee $1,000 and said, go and invest this, and they did nothing with it, what would you do to that employee? You might say, there's the door. You might reprimand them. You might fire them. You might give them a mouthful or an earful. Um, but how would your boss respond to you if he gave you that money? Anybody here looking for a new job? Right? It's going to be bad if your boss gives you an assignment and you decide, I'm not going to do it. But we're going to get to that point because that's kind of what people decide to do with the gospel. So this is a parable. This is a story told to teach us a lesson. And it's supposed to teach these people the same lesson that it is teaching us. And it's telling us that just like these guys, the master is away, and while he's away, people are supposed to be investing with what the master has left in their care. Our master has left, and we're supposed to be investing with what, with what he has left in our care. The master has left. Anybody want to take a shot in the dark about who the master is that's gone, that's being referred to in this parable? Jesus. Jesus is the master who has left. We know, verse 11, while they were listening, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to come at once. They thought that once Jesus got to Jerusalem, all of a sudden this kingdom was going to appear. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to happen like this. The master is leaving. I am that master. I am going to leave, and I'm going to leave you in charge of something, uh, a responsibility that I would like you to, to take care of. In the, in the parable, he left them with money. Uh, he left them with uh, three months' worth of wages and says, go to invest this. Obviously, that's not something that he's left with us. Or if he did, I didn't get the, the check, right? I didn't get the cash. I didn't get the pot of gold that Jesus said, hey, take this and invest this. And so I'm missing out. What he's left is he's left universally to every single person who says, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And that is the gospel that he's left to for us to invest, to invest with the gospel. So how do I do that? How do I invest with the gospel? You know, I can't stick it in a stock market. I can't get online and, and find some place to, to, I can't stick it in the bank. You know, I can't just put it somewhere else and expect it to do something for me. So how do I invest with the gospel? Well, the, the number one way to invest with the gospel is with this beautiful mouth that everybody has. That's the best way to invest with the gospel. Everybody can talk. I've heard everybody, at least in here, able to talk. Um, I asked you last week, uh, how, 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 do you, how do you feel about investing the gospel? Or how do, you, how do you feel about sharing the gospel? Does anybody here feel very comfortable with it? Because I know it's a scary thing to do. I asked you, did you, did you uh, or do you feel any more prepared this week than you did last week? Um, I wrote in the bulletin uh, a kind of a really short little part about the gospel in the, in the, in when you open it up. It says Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death. To just give you another idea on, on what to say or how to say it. But the biggest thing you can do 
is to open the gospel. Um, I talked about last week about Zacchaeus, about what did Jesus do with Zacchaeus when he's up in that tree. He noticed him. He looked at him. He had his conversation with him, and then he connected with him. Now, I have this, uh, last Sunday, I had this very opportunity to do this. Uh, I, I, I kind of reaped the benefit of this. Uh, we have neighbors in our town. I'm not going to point them out just in case somehow they happen to hear about that. Uh, but when they moved into town, I, I walked by and I just said, Hi, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor of this church. I just want to welcome you to town. Okay. I mean, they didn't look like, wow, they didn't show up. They didn't, there's no music, you know, no, no one got excited. Uh, Christmas time. Uh, my wife made those little jars of Russian tea. So went, knocked on the door, said, here, here's some Russian tea, and I'd like to invite you to our Christmas play. Did they come to the Christmas play? No. Did, did anything happen as far as that goes? No. But I'll tell you what. I had a, uh, last Sunday after everybody left, my family and I were leaving. We were walking, just about ready to walk down the stairs, and this person came walking up the stairs. And so me and this person sat in those back two seats, and I had the opportunity to share the gospel with that person. And, and that, how did that start? It started by trying to just connect with somebody, just say, hi, welcome to the community. Hi, we're having a Christmas play. That's all I know about these people. Uh, but through that, they said, okay, I think I can talk to this person. Maybe you could say it's because I was a pastor. I don't know, but they told me nobody else has reached out to them in the whole town since they've been here. And that's not just the pastor's job. That's everybody's job. But because I was willing to do that, this person was willing to come talk to me and share something about their life. And I was able to say, here's what you need to know. Because they were asking, what's the difference between this faith versus other faith? And I was like, right there, here's the gospel, here it is. And they didn't say, okay, I believe it, I accept it. But I was able to present it to them because I did exactly what Jesus did. Because he, he, he noticed these people, he connected with them. And so I want to ask you, did anybody do that this week? When you went to, to your lunchroom and you looked and you say, okay, I got my lunch tray or my bag of lunch, and here's my best friend I want to go talk to, did you say, you know what, I'm going to go put this into practice and go talk to somebody else? and maybe develop this relationship with them? Or did you do the same thing that you always did? When you saw your neighbor walking down the street, did you stop and you say hi? Or did you invite somebody over for a meal or for a conversation? Did you get involved in somebody's life? Did you, did you do more this week than you did last week? The biggest and the best way you can do it is with your mouth. You're not going to get that opportunity unless you do something to invest in people's lives. And I know Sharing the gospel is like the biggest, scariest possible thing anybody can do. I bet that's second compared to get up in front of talking to people. Right? That's the scariest thing. The second thing would be to open your mouth and share the gospel with somebody because you don't know how people are going to respond. And I tell you what, I, I wasn't born knowing what I know. You know, I, when, especially when I moved here and became a pastor, I started like amping up my studies on how do I defend what I believe because if somebody, who are they going to ask? Can I lose my salvation? Who are they going to ask? They're probably going to ask me. I better have an answer. And so I started studying out these things so that I could make sure that I knew what to tell somebody. Because I didn't want to stand there and say, I don't know, or I'm afraid to get in these conversations. And so if you say, I don't know the gospel, get prepared. If you say, I'm afraid of what they're going to ask, think about what they're going to ask and try to find those answers. Uh, talk to somebody. You can come call me up on the phone. Gotquestions.org. Carm. Whatever. I'm not sure what it is. Um, 
but you can find these answers to help equip yourself to help be prepared. But do something. Invite them to a meal. Invite them to a movie. Uh, this shares the gospel, but do something. Uh, live it out. Come hell or high water, make sure that it is radiating from your being. By the words that you say, uh, when, when someone's coming up to your car, flip the station so it's play some Christian music. Uh, make it, wear it on your t-shirt. Put it on your bumper sticker or on your car. Um, whatever's going to make it obvious, put a smile on your face, right? When you go to work, let people know that there is something different. Another way is to get involved in ministry. Now, I'm going to like start with what's here, right? We have an Awana program. Um, I would encourage you, don't just come here and sit here. Do something, right, at this, either at this church or outside this church to get involved in reaching people with the gospel. Inside these walls, there's the Awana program. There's VBS in the summer. There's Bible study. We have uh, people teaching that. There's teaching Sunday school. Uh, there's women's ministry. There's all sorts of things that you can do to be involved in ministry to give you a chance to invest with the gospel because you're going to wish that you did when you get to heaven. And that's one of the easier ways because you're not like blabbing the gospel every single week, you know, unless you, God gives you that opportunity. But everything that you're doing is about investing with the gospel. When we're doing games, that's one of my favorite things to do at Awana. That plays a part in the gospel. If those games are dumb, or if they're boring, the kids aren't going to want to play. That's one of the big draws to things like that. At VBS, Annika led games. Guess what? That was a huge draw for kids. Everything that you do as part of a ministry helps to invest with the gospel to finally get somebody the opportunity to share it. Now, not all ministry happens just inside this church. You know, there's the jail ministry. Uh, that There's an option there. I know there's the, the pregnancy place. There's an option there. If you want to get involved, you just say, you know what, my niche is not with kids. Okay, we got, we got prisoners. My, my, adult, my niche is not with men. Okay, there's women. Right? There's Bible studies that we can start. There are all sorts of things that you can do that you're, you're only limited by your imagination right? on how you can invest with the gospel. So I challenge you to make sure you do that because the master is going to return. He is coming. Now, for all these people who hear this from Jesus, They've already died. The master did not come. They kind of went to him, right? When they, when they died, they, they met the master, but the same thing is still there. They still are going to reap the reward for what they did here on earth in investing the gospel. And that might be the way that each one of us gets there. You know, Jesus may not come down first, but he might come down with the rapture and say, hey, guys, we're going to get out of this before, before hell starts hitting here on earth, and we're going to heaven. But you're still going to have your opportunity. And when each person... Each of these servants, I'm sure it was awkward for them. They're standing with that master one-on-one. -on -one. Now, I'd like to have my whole group of buddies. I'd like to have everybody here with me saying, wow, you know, Josh is a good guy. You know, Josh, you know, he kept us awake most of the time, and he gave us the gospel, and he tried to give us a charge to keep us going. But it ain't going to matter. It's going to be me and Jesus. And he's going to be able to look and say, you know what? You did a good job. You know, you're, hopefully he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You're that 10 minor guy. But he might say, you know what, Josh, you're kind of that five-minded guy because you didn't do everything that I asked you to do. You didn't invest as much as I asked you to invest. But the thing is, we will be rewarded for the things that we've done. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body. We are going to stand before God all by ourselves. 
and we're going to receive a reward if we did what God asked us to do. And the best thing we can do is to invest with the gospel. You know, if you say, you know what, I don't really care about the rewards in heaven. I know people who say, I just want to get to heaven. If I can just have a little corner of heaven, I know it's better than hell. If, you're, if that's what you're thinking, you got the wrong idea, okay? Because it's not about gaining rewards when you get to heaven. That's just uh, a, an extra bonus when you get to heaven. God will reward you, but it's not about just getting rewards. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission that God has given us to do. Now, I'd love to tell you what those rewards are going to look like, but I can't. I mean, does it really matter? If you got a book that said, these are the rewards you get for investing with the gospel, these are the rewards you get for uh, donating money to the missionaries, these are the rewards you get for helping with White Cross, would it really matter if you could see that? All I can tell you is these guys went from uh, a little bit of money to be in charge of something way, way more impressive. And the little bit of work that we do is going to, it's going to have like ridiculous payment. It's going to pay off ridiculous. It isn't even going to make sense that, I, okay, I invested in the gospel this much. I'm going to be rewarded this much. But that's kind of the, the, the dividends that you get when you are willing to invest as God's asked you to invest. Now, we should stop right here. We, because this is also talked about, uh, as we're looking through this, again, it's the two servants who did what they were supposed to do. One gained ten, one gained five, but at least they both did something. We should be able to stop right there, but Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, you know what, there is a third person that we need to discuss here. And that's the person who does nothing. And that's what this guy did. He says, I'm too afraid. I, I, it's too much work. I don't really care about the master, so I'm not going to do this. The first two did the right thing. The third one didn't. You know, this guy took his coin. He stuck it in his handkerchief and stuck it in his pocket. The, the, the servant with the gospel, who's not willing to invest it, is doing the same thing, is taking it, sticking it in his handkerchief and sticking it in his po pocket. And we can be just like that. I'm throwing myself in this as well. We because I have not opened my mouth and shared the gospel every time that God has asked me to do it. So sometimes I am asking, acting like this third servant. But this, this third servant who's not willing to invest the gospel, what he's doing is he, he might be saved himself. Because if you ask Jesus to be your savior, you have eternal life. And I'm not going to say that's taken away from you. I don't think you can get that taken away from you. But we can act like that person when we say, uh, I'm not going to tell anybody the gospel. You know what, I am, it doesn't matter, what he's saying is it doesn't matter about my neighbors or my best friends or my coworkers or my families, whether or not they go to hell or not, but, I, but I'm not opening my mouth to share the gospel with them. I'm not willing to do the work to figure out what is the gospel or how to explain it. He just says, I don't care. I, I just, I got it for myself and that's good enough for me because I'm going to make it. That's what this servant did. He says, well, I got the coin that you gave it with, you gave me to start with, and that's good enough to give back to you. Just me. Just to give that back to you. But you also have this guy who says, I'm afraid. He, this guy is too afraid to try. He's too afraid to try to invest. He won't get involved in people's lives. He won't look for opportunities. He won't look or he won't invite opportunities to come his direction. He just says, you know what? I'm, I'm too afraid. It's not worth the effort. And so, yeah, I got my gospel for myself. And I sure... Good luck to everybody else, but I'm not going to be the person who gets out there and opens my mouth and shares it with them. He's saved, but when you look at 1 Corinthians 
You find that he is saved as one escaping through the flames. He got there by the skin of his teeth. Uh, there's a, there's a, a pastor friend that I know that always likes to put it this way. He's a bikini Christian, barely there. He got there by the skin of his teeth with nothing. I mean, like a bikini is practically nothing, no, no pictures, okay? But he's practically nothing. He just gets there like by this, with nothing, you know? And it's like, we're not supposed to be that. We should be the guy, the Christian with the, the, the you got the, uh, the pants on to keep you warm in the wintertime, and then you got the snow pants, and then you got the, the coats, and the, we should be just loaded compared to that bikini picture to get the opposite picture. But this third servant says, I'm just not willing to do this. And it's really sad because that servant doesn't understand the gospel, that what Jesus actually did for that person, that Jesus actually paid the price for their salvation, but he also loves everybody else as well. So let me ask you, where do you see yourself? Where do you fit in? Do you see yourself as this 10 minus servant who's doing everything that you can to share the gospel? Now I realize everybody's working, right? And I'm not saying quit your jobs and go be a missionary out in Zimbabwe or wherever unless God's asking you to do that. But where are you at? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities that God has given you? I'll tell you, um, there's, there's only three times in the last two years that I can think of outside these walls where I've had the opportunity to bluntly speak the gospel. Uh, one was with the neighbor across the street, one was at the school, and one was with another neighbor around town. So if, it might just be three times in two years. It might be five times in one week. You don't know. It's just being available and willing. So do you see yourself as a servant who's creating opportunities or trying to take opportunities to share the gospel? Do you see yourself as one who says, well, I know I could do better? I mean, I see myself there. I know I could do better. I probably should create more opportunities. That's one of the things Leslie and I are going to try to do this year, is try to get out and just keep meeting these people in this town. Try to get them at our house and try to get them in the doors of this church. Try to make sure that they get the gospel. Or do you see yourself as someone who says, I got salvation. I'm not really caring about anybody else. How do you see yourself? And I would encourage you to think long and hard to make sure that you're that person who says, you know what, I'm going to try more. I'm going to take opportunity. I'm going to try to create opportunities to invest with the gospel. If you do, you will be rewarded. I told you last week, my, my, my ratio of people getting saved when I share the gospel with them is nil. It's terrible. People do not get saved when I share the gospel with them. You can count on one hand how many people get saved. But that's not what it's based off. It's not based off of how many people get saved. It's based off of who am I willing to tell? Am I willing to get out there and share the gospel? So you will be rewarded based off of your effort, astronomically. Uh, at the worst, it's that people are going to go to hell if we don't even try. It, you, people that you might be able to come in contact, that you might be able to help. You don't save anybody, so that's at least a big weight off our backs. We just got to get out there and give, take the opportunity to share the gospel. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you, just like I'm challenging myself, to invest with the gospel. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for your gospel. God, because by it we have eternal life. We have salvation. God, and I thank you for those in here who have that salvation. God, and I thank you for those in here who are out there sharing the gospel. With whatever opportunities that you give them, if it's at work, if it's on the basketball court, if it's in the park, God, that you provide opportunities for us. And I just pray that we would take those opportunities. And God, I even ask for myself that you would give me more boldness, more courage, more wisdom of, of how to do this better. And if anybody here, God, says, 
I stink at this, or I'm, I'm doing good, or I'd like to do better. I just pray that you would give us opportunities to preach your word, to give the gospel, and to invest it, and to see success in this. Thank you, God, that you're willing to reward us for our efforts. And I pray for help to do a better job. In Jesus' name.